This podcast is part of a pod course offered for ASHA CEU credit through SpeechTherapyPD.com. As part of the December to Remember sales event, SpeechTherapyPD.com is offering all pod courses for $9.99 apiece through the end of December. That's more than 35 episodes of First Bite with Michelle Dawson and The Speech Link with Char Beauchart for just $9.99 apiece. To get this discount, simply use the code JOY at checkout. SpeechTherapyPD.com is a certified ASHA CE provider. Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hey, I hope you're still loving these podcasts and pod courses sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. But have I left y'all wanting more? Well, then come on and join me for a live action class. On Wednesday, January 23rd, I'll be in Toledo, Ohio. On Thursday, January 24th, I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. And on Friday, January 25th, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, presenting a six-hour ASHA and IOTA-approved CE event. Pediatric Dysphagia, Establishing the Brain-Mouth-Gut Connection, sponsored by Pessy Inc. Don't forget to pack your latex-free gloves, a snack, and a drink. We will be comedically and functionally engaging the oral preparatory stage of our swallows and sharing the fascination of our double chins. Be sure to check out registration on my website or Facebook page, heartwoodspeechtherapy.com, or go direct to www.pessy.com. See y'all soon. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast was, like most creative processes, birthed from a combination of several cups of coffees and, honestly, even more questions posed by a series of impassioned graduate students that I've had the pleasure of supervising over the last several years. First Bite's mission to answer those questions that we've all had, but we've either been too afraid to ask or we didn't have the subject matter expert saved to our own personal speed dials. So, do you too have more questions and answers when it comes to treating your medically complex and fragile pediatric patients? Are you unsure if the signs and symptoms that you're observing are indicative of an allergy, maybe an underlying GI issues, or could they possibly be neurologically driven? How many questions do you really have for that registered dietitian regarding the formulas prescribed and the flow rate through that patient's G-tube? Have you ever been consulted for a quote-unquote difficult latch only to find out that the mother is exclusively breastfeeding, but you've never nursed a little one or worked with the breastfed patient before? And what about functional communication? Are you so over flashcards, but you need advice on how to get started with core vocabulary with a non-speech generating device or how to find the right fit for a speech generating device? 
Do you have additional worries about the basic day-to-day running and documentation of your private practice? How do you go about obtaining referrals or even documenting that note so that the insurance company deems it medically necessary? If you answered yes, well, then come join me, Michelle Dawson, for this dynamic podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Who am I, you ask? Well, I'm a self-described SLP geek with, as my family says, a touch of the ADD and ADHD. I have a passion for serving the least of these, namely the most complex and involved pediatric patients in their natural environment through my private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in the Columbia, South Carolina metro area. I also have had the pleasure, and currently still am, traveling the country where I lecture on best practices for pediatric dysphagia and functional language acquisition delivered through an early intervention natural environment model. Are you still intrigued? Then come join me as I interview some amazing folks. And don't forget that you can submit questions for a Q&A or interview request topics to me via email at firstbite at speechtherapypd.com or on our Facebook page. And also check out our website, drop a review, subscribe to obtain those coveted ASHA CEUs. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Welcome back to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the functional category, and we are talking all things conflict resolution. Wait, what did Michelle just say? Yep, ladies and gents, you heard that correctly. This little Irish gal over here that can run hot in a heartbeat is picking the brains of a guru on how to amicably work to resolve issues that can arise in professional settings. Hmm, I'll admit, I should probably take extra notes with a highlighter, maybe multiple highlighters. Um, So let's get to it. I first met Sharis several years ago when she was working in her capacity as Director of State Education and Legislative Advocacy with ASHA and was charged with overseeing the southeastern portion of our nation. So let all those words sink in. She was responsible for handling all the sassy Southern ladies. And Lord knows that we can run hot and let our Irish show in a minute, as well as her accents. Well... I called her one day several years ago about a scope of practice encroachment issue, one that I personally felt very in over my head on, and witnessed firsthand how she was able to navigate the murky waters and provide suggestions to assist with the problem, and she did it with ease and level-headedness, which was very different from my run-very-hot go-to personality. I saw the master at work. I was a convert and a fan from that moment forward. And I mean, I seriously fangirled her. She'll admit to that. And so while I was fangirling her from afar, I managed to sweet talk her into sharing her passion and talents with the masses. And she agreed. So on that note, um, Sharis, tell the lovely listeners all about yourself and how you became a guru in communication. Also, can we just agree that it's pretty ironic that SLPs are supposed to be expert communicators, and yet we often struggle to simply communicate (laughs) with one another effectively. So yay, (laughs) Sharis. Hi. So (laughs) 
to, to tell you a little bit about myself, I honestly don't know how, how I quite got here, but I have had quite a unique pathway. I started as a speech language pathologist working in uh, skilled nursing and then moved to hospitals and private practice and education settings over the course of the years. And then eventually went into product development, um, learning how to develop products. But in that experience, I traveled all over the country working with a lot of variety of individuals, a lot of personalities, a lot of skill sets um, from different individuals. And I think I just kind of fell into this a little bit. And when I started my job at ASHA, I actually asked for conflict resolution training and went through a lot of training and then went through facilitation training. And then over the course of the last two years, I've been doing a lot of mediation training. Um, I got my degree at Ball State University and finished uh, my undergraduate was at Monmouth College and then transferred to Ball State. And so um, had some experience living in multiple states, Illinois, Indiana, South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, the D.C. region and Colorado. So you get a range of experiences when you live all over the country as well and learn a lot about other people. So right now I do a lot of volunteer mediation and I'd say that it's been pretty exciting and it brings me a lot of perspective and it makes me think and pause a lot. It's been a gift actually to to actually sit with people and work through communication. And I actually think I bring my speech pathology skills into the mediation that brings a different element than some of the mediators that maybe have a law background. So that kind of gives you an idea of where I'm, I come from. So You are an excellent listener. That's one thing that I always take away. Every time we talk, I never get the impression that you're just like waiting to jump into put your two cents out there, but you, you listen and then you ask an, a thoughtful open-ended question and then do that little, I don't know what the technical term is, but you always do that question that like restates and summarizes everything we just talked about with a nice little bow on it. And I walk away thinking, yes, that's exactly what just happened. But I, I can see how coming to you for mediation would be, um, it, it would help and it would ease because it always calms me to talk to you, which is really saying something because we both know I have a lot of energy. <laughs> so, oh, I, I heard you laugh. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, let's get to it. All I really know about conflict resolution is what um, my very first boss man, um, uh, he was the f director of um, physical therapy and everybody just called him boss man. Cause he was just giant and big and he was a PT go figure. And, um, he had us go through a book. Um, oh gosh, it just completely went out of my head. Now, um, we did the seven stage or seven habits of highly effective people. And then another book that talked about running hot and crucial conversations. That's what it was. And that was my first exposure prior to you, um, about conflict and conflict resolution. So if somebody hasn't read that literature or gotten into it, can you kind of give us a general overview of conflict and conflict resolution? Sure. And, and what I want to say is I think speech pathologists, occupational therapists, even any of these helping professions, you actually have a lot of these skill sets. You've already learned these. It's just been in the elements of therapy versus conflict. And so we're going to put that kind of into perspective a little bit. But 
you know, we experience conflict every day. It's around us all the time. And it can be as simple as someone taking your parking spot to a spouse who doesn't clean up after her himself <laughs> or a coworker that's always talking on her cell phone in an open desk environment. And those are simple examples. And certainly there are more serious situations as well. But you, if you really sit back and observe, you could, you and I both travel a lot. So you can sit in an airport and just observe people and you'll see um, a lot of conflict going on all the time. And conflict is stressful, and at times it's painful, especially if you don't know the root cause. And conflict can be even more challenging if you determine that the conflict may be due to poor self-esteem of another individual. So you want to understand that a little bit. But one thing I want to be make clear is the difference between conflict versus a disagreement. Conflict is emotionally charged. You usually feel intense emotions when you have a conflict, whereas a disagreement, it's it's varying viewpoints. You can sit across the table with someone, have a discussion or a debate and agree to disagree and leave there and still be able to see them the next day. But conflict sometimes can boil up into other emotions and be a little more intense. And what I see is that people tend to complain a lot about conflict, but most don't take the time to learn how to handle it or become up or even come up with strategies to manage situations. And it certainly is easier to manage someone else's conflict, such as a coworker who needs your advice. So it's much easier to step back and view another person's problem and provide support and guidance for someone than it is to do it for yourself. And it's certainly, I can tell you, even from personal experience, it's a lot easier to deal with conflict sometimes with a friend versus a family member or a colleague, depending on your relationships. And so you want to be aware of that. So I'm hoping the goal today is for you not to avoid handling conflict, but understanding your own behavior and reactions to things. And and this takes some time and practice, but you are in control of your own behavior. And that's going to be the key with conflict. It's not going to teach you how to manage or change someone else's behavior, but you change your own and the end result is then it results in them changing their behavior. So part of how an individual deals with conflict and something I want you to be aware of is truly learn from our environment and our childhood experiences a little bit. So if you think about how your parents communicated and handled conflict and then think about yourself for a moment, you may see some similarities there, whether you want to admit it or not. <laughs> but I do believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, I'm just thinking of my daddy and I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I, I do believe you can learn and adjust your reactions because my I, I didn't think my parents were that bad at communicators. But now. And I, it's funny because my father says, I don't know where you learned to communicate, but you didn't get it from your mother or, or me. So um, I'm always amazed. But I, I truly think that the speech pathology piece, you know, all that training actually brought in some of that. And then when I added some of this other training, it really clicked for me. So, um, you know, conflict can bring up a lot of stress and anxiety, lots of tension but it can also energize and sometimes empower us to do something different. So there can be a positive too. And I often say, uh, it's, a, it's a quote that you'll hear people say that doing the same thing over and over and getting the same results is truly the definition of crazy. So if we, yeah, so if we keep responding the same way to situations and we get the same results, then something has to change. And we have to figure out how we're going to change how we're responding if we keep getting the same result with the same person. 
So that that's kind of a general idea. Um, in one of your other podcasts, you mentioned the five love languages. Mm, I love that book. It's a fabulous book. So if you haven't read it's not conflict resolution. However, I think it relates because it teaches you about what you need uh, to feel loved and what your partner needs to feel loved. And you can use that same concept because you have to take the time in conflict resolution to understand how you click, what is your personality type, your leadership style, what do you appreciate when or how people communicate with you. And then you have to step back and view that individual and you're trying to communicate with them and work through a disagreement or conflict and see if you can understand their personality and their approach. We don't have to love each other, but we have to find common ground and respect each other. Yes. It, that you, So much wisdom right there because I've got, <clears throat> I've had early interventionists that I've had to interact with and given the nature of, Home health therapy sucks sometimes. Like I can't sugarcoat it. It's very hard. It's very isolating. We don't really get to see the people face to face. So we have to communicate through text messages, emails, phone calls, but especially when it's in printed form and there's generational differences, I don't don't understand why millennials put so many exclamation points in text messages and emails because where I am technically a millennial, I'm just old enough that if you have an exclamation point, sweetheart, you're yelling at me. So I had to take a step back and then reach out and say, honey, why don't you come and do a therapy session with me? Like come do a co-treatment with me. And I've done this with two early interventionists and watching how they engage with the child. I was able to one, seek to understand two view how they how they shared their love language because what we choose as a profession is a direct reflection of what we love like we this is a profession of helping and healing i mean you, you it's what ot's pts slps even eis it's we were basically called to help heal and it's so awesome to watch them administer their, you know, early intervention techniques and seeing how they engage with the child. I was like, okay, well, you know, they're gift givers or, you know, whatever their respective love language was, which helped me understand how to better communicate to them via email and text message. (laughs) Also give the guidance, maybe cut down the exclamation points. We're old. We don't understand what you're saying, but like, yes, yes. Okay. All right. So continue. Squirrel. <laughs> That's one. So one thing I do want to say, and you can read all sorts of books about conflict or leadership or things like that. And you'll find books out there that say, oh, my strategies will work for everybody. And I'm here to say there will be times. And I promise you, there will be times in which nothing will work. And I I want you to know that that's okay. Um, I would say that it's very uncommon compared to most, most of the time you'll have positive end results. If you use some of these strategies, Um, when it doesn't work, you just have to walk away. And those are usually the people that are pretty volatile. They already have a lot of personal issues. There's a lot going on. And then you just have to find it in your heart to say, 
you know, it's not, it's not our time right now and it's okay. But I don't want you to feel like you're going to be perfect at this every time you have an interaction with someone because sometimes it just, it just doesn't work. So, um, but for the most part, I, it's amazing to watch people realize when we're working through some communication problem that it really was, they miss it was misunderstanding more than anything or our own egos getting in the way and interpreting or making up a story that we think is really happening. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. SpeechTherapyPD.com is an engaging, evidence-based continuing education site that offers over 450 continuing education hours. The best part? The information garnered can be applied in therapy immediately. It's functional and fabulous without the hassle of trying to translate technical jargon from a research article. Can I entice you more? Well, then get your suntan lotion ready because next summer, SpeechTherapyPD.com is hosting a CEU cruise. That's right. July 27th through August 3rd of 2019, the amazing, delightful, and oh-so-kind Char Beauchart, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, will be the featured speaker for 12-plus continuing education hours on a cruise ship through Greece. That's right. You heard it right. Greece. Want to get the preview or want to catch a preview of the information she's going to share? Then tune into her pod course, The Speech Link, which is also eligible for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll see y'all in Greece. I was just thinking, or our anxiety, I'm one to very quickly put a scenario together in my head based out of my own personal anxiety that I keep thinking I'm doing a better job of managing. And then, you know, a series of events will unfold. And no, I'm not. So yes, egos, anxieties, I gotcha. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, how, how do you define the different stages? I mean, conflict doesn't just happen. I mean, like, you, don't you have to go through steps to get to a conflict? Like, what is the tipping point? Also, have you read that book, Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell? Yes. It's a good book. Oh, my God. I love it. It's a good book. Out there. <laughs> That's a good book. <laughs> um, but what? where is the tipping point between a disagreement and a conflict? What do those stages look like? So, uh, typically, there's about you know, about five stages. Um, We first begin at a level of being uncomfortable. Something just doesn't feel right. Your gut or sixth sense starts talking to you. And of course, most of us talk ourselves out of it, right? It's easier to believe, oh, maybe I'm being a little oversensitive. I'm reading into things. Um, And you talk, you do that self-talking. You're like, nah, it's just all in my head. And that's usually stage one. Then stage two, you may have an interaction that leaves you feeling a little upset or frustrated or angry. And at that point, you're either stay in that stage or you might even say, you know, I want to solve this. I don't want to feel this way. And so some people are going to actually act then to try to deal with the situation head on. But some people and I certainly can say I am naturally an introvert. And I certainly don't like conflict, which is ironic because I love working with people in conflict. (laughs) If it's not my problem and it's not my conflict, I'll I'll jump right in and help help people. But um, yeah, so it's kind of funny. But 
you know, you hit this next stage that may, stage three, which may lead to a disagreement that perhaps even maybe some of your colleagues and coworkers witness, which can be embarrassing, right? Maybe you have a little heated, you raise your voice, maybe you have a heated uh, conversation in the corner of the office or, you know, at the hospital with the physician or a nurse. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, me, raise my voice? <laughs> huh. Yeah, I might have done that once or twice. Whatever are you talking about, Shares? Continue. I'm listening. Well, and you know, I, I I certainly have had those experiences too. And I think I learned early in my profession. I was probably a little more of a hothead in my twenties than I am today. I progressed significantly now, a little bit older. But um, you know, you hit this next stage then of stage four, where the anxiety starts to set in. And this is when you start replaying that situation over and over in your head. I'm sure there's many of you, well, I hope there's many of you that experience that. You're driving home from work and you just keep replaying this, the situation and you keep trying to make it end a better way and it doesn't. And you're like, oh crap, this is a real problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then some of you lose sleep over it. You may wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, if I could have done it a different way. And so stage four, you start to feel lots of angst. And then stage five, that's your breaking point. And that's hopefully you don't get to that stage because this is when things to really continue to escalate. And there's a complete communication breakdown, whether you start having conflict all the time with this individual, or maybe you start thinking you need to leave your job, or you're feeling threatened, or even dreading coming to work. And so then that's when you start having maybe even some avoidance behaviors. You're like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to walk this way instead of that way. I'm not going to talk to this person. I know this person eats lunch in the ca hospital cafeteria at this time. I'm not going down there. <laughs> and that is really letting it go too far. It's much harder and sometimes too late to repair the damage when you get to that level. You don't want to get to stage five. So the best goal is to stay within stage one and stage two, and then hopefully hit it head on and deal with that situation. And that takes some you have to be brave sometimes to step up and say, I need to have that conversation with this person. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of a, of a patient's physician that um, he and I hit um, uh, the heated elevated level and it made me want to avoid taking referrals from his practice because of how we spoke to each other on the phone. Um, but I didn't back down. Um, and, you know, working in the South and having lived in the South, sometimes because we're female, we don't know because we're females, um, which is a very sexist thing that we have to challenge and work to overcome in the 21st century. And the fact that we still have to fight that hard is absolutely infuriating. It already makes me escalate past some of those levels just thinking about it. But um, after a addressing of the issue that did involve us having a, um, as, my, as my grandma would say, a come to Jesus kind of moment, um, we, we did power through it. Um, necessary referrals were made, kid got treated. I backed down. Um, well, I didn't back down. We got the kid there and then I learned to, you know, be a professional again, <laughs> but like I should not have let it gone that far. Um, but that's one that I definitely remember waking up in the middle of the night and replaying umpteen different ways. 
Yep. Yep. And a lot of women out there and gents are nodding their head in agreement. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So those are our five stages and we want to stay in one and two. I, I can get behind that. Um, so how do we go about learning to grow personally to be retrospective so that we can learn to stay in one, one and two? Because you know, you and I went to, we, we've had a couple, we had a CSAP together and, um, which is, um, uh, it's a conference council of state association presidents. Y'all just as a squirrel, and this is a worthy squirrel. If you're not involved in your state association, volunteer and get involved in your state association. Um, twice a year, your state association leaders get together and they interface with ASHA and they have trainings and open dialogue on what's unique to each geographical location or what's going on. And there's so much information that comes back and gets put into practice at the state level by going to those meetings. And one of the things that has arisen from that is the big push for um, leadership development. And a huge part of the leadership development is um, personal assessments. And, you know, Sharers, you've, you've guided us on you know, in settings like that about we need to do personal assessments and review ourselves in order to grow. But how does that correlate to stages of conflict? So, and and you're right. And as professionals, you all have had to go through training in college where you 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 had that supervisor through that two-way mirror observing you in a therapy session. Oh, God, that was so nerve wracking. Oh, <laughs> and then they train you to self assess, right? You have to start doing it for yourself. That two way mirror is removed. You start your, your profession and you start going, Did I treat that patient the way I should have? Did I uh, use that strategy the correct way? So you already have that skill set. So, in that same way, personal assessment helps you be clear on what you're wanting and how you handle a situation. So you certainly can ask yourself a lot of these questions. Is there a better approach? Could I have said this differently? If the result I received was not what I intended, what other approach could I take? And so it's it's no different than when you're treating a patient or working with a student and that strategy or technique didn't work. You're asking those same questions. Now I'm teaching you how to apply it in conflict and your own personal way for your own personal assessment of how you're communicating with people communicating with people. So even if you have a bad day, it's an opportunity to learn from that interaction and improve upon it. It's like when, you know, like I said, it's, it's just like having that two-way mirror. So you need to ask yourself some questions like, what are you looking to get out of a situation if you choose to say or interact a certain way? Okay. And for example, if you choose to be rude, do you think you're going to receive rudeness back? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if that was rhetorical. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, now you answer that. So, if and if that was your intent and you like that feedback and you like that angry energy, then just go, just go for it. If that's what you wanted, because some people really thrive on that. <laughs> but most people, if you want a positive outcome, then you have to approach a situation in a different light. And so it's really holding that tongue and stopping for a minute saying, how do I want this situation to end? So what kind of response will I potentially receive if I choose to act a certain way? 
Do you want to put that behavior out there and receive that same back? And so if you're paying attention to your tone and your actions and an impact in a situation, are you selecting your words and responses carefully? Um, so my little squirrel, it's kind of funny this year, I have been really practicing my skills and I have miraculously had several things I've had to purchase for a, a new home and some things didn't turn out so great and had a little damage and stuff. But by golly, I got on that phone. I kept my cool. I talked calmly. I lowered my voice and I've never called with the intention I would get anything. And I've gotten a lot of free stuff this year. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, so I'm starting to go, oh, some of this might actually work. <laughs> so, so it's kind of fun. But, you know, it's modifying your behavior at work. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to have feelings. But you have to find acceptable ways to express how you're feeling. And I think because most of, uh, you know, whether you're a speech pathologist or a, a occupational therapist or physical therapist, like you said, we've all gone into this because truly we are caring professionals. We have big hearts. And so if we really are transparent and we slow down and actually almost be open with our emotions, we end up getting probably better results. I had one mom tell me this week, that I'm a different therapist because I advocate. And she goes, you don't just take no for an answer. You, you search for the why. Um, one, of, one of my dear professional mentors has always said, search for the why. Michelle, you've got to get back to why is, why is there an issue with the swallow? It's more than the swallow. What are the concomitant etiologies? And but ha having to go about being an advocate for children that you feel that are falling through the cracks, especially when there's um, language barriers or cultural differences that need to be taken into account, it's very difficult to do that. And my Irish is quick. I have a very hot temper and I have had to work really, really hard to slow it down and to breathe and to smile. Um, and, and like I catch myself the second my hands go up in the air, I know it's coming. So I have to, you know, keep my hands together, hold on to a coffee cup, <laughs> like those, little, but those little ticks have, they've opened more doors for the patients that I treat by main, by being calm. We've been able to, um, not get cool free things for houses, but getting more referrals to see more specialists and stuff like that. Oh, oh well. All right. So personal assessments, be calm, use kind words, catching the fly with honey or vinegar, give or take which side of the um, mountains you live on. All right. So what are some of the specific strategies that you would use to manage conflict? If you've, if you've done your personal assessment and um, you know where your weaknesses lie, what do you then start doing to actually work to fixing the issue? So, you know, in many situations, you have to pause and wait on responding. And sometimes you can't. You're in the situation, you've got to deal with it. But in situations that you can actually sleep on it, I highly recommend it. So if you can plan on responding with a deliberate and planned response, 
versus a reactive response. Uh, I certainly will not be the first person to respond to a group email, for example. I let others get the ball rolling. My, I've let my ego go enough that I don't have to have the first idea because sometimes, or the first comment, because sometimes if you let things sit still for a minute, you'll actually have a much better reaction or response to things. So, yeah. So if you, it may be that if you're having a challenge with that physician, maybe it's his off day and you need to call him and say, you know, let me, let's schedule a time to chat tomorrow. And it just allows everything to escalate a little bit. So that's one technique. You know, another technique, you all know this, (laughs) you know, this technique, we've all been trained on pausing, Slowing down your speech, lowering your voice, taking deep breaths to de-escalate a situation. You can practice this on a phone call with with someone that's got a is just really upset, and it's amazing. They may still be angry, but they calm down a little bit when you can lower your voice and slow down the pace. So that's a simple technique you can use, especially on the phone. Or if you're sitting with a parent or a client, then you want to also see if you can identify um, what may be the underlying cause of the conflict. This is really kind of important. This may require asking some questions. So it's getting to a point where you can stay calm enough to have, um, and a lot of you guys already have this skill. It's just pulling that back out, right? We've all been trained to ask open-ended questions. And amazing enough, often when you're having a conflict with someone you work with, you'll often find the conflict is always the result of a misunderstanding or misinterpretation. Someone snaps at you and you don't think they don't, they don't appreciate you or like you, or maybe they don't, you think, oh, they don't respect my viewpoint. You know, you can see that if situations with doctors, maybe they get a little cocky. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so, (laughs) um, but they may have had a crappy morning. If we were to say, hey, maybe he had a bad day or maybe the kids trying to get the kids to school, spilling coffee on their clothes, getting a ticket on the way to work. You never know what just happened in their life the day before or the day of. Um, and it's never surprising when I'm in a mediation session, the conflict could have been avoided by communication and staying open minded and being gentle and kind. It's shocking how many times the, the conflict is because we've misinterpreted or this is something that we used to say on our team, even at ASHA, and I always had to work on this like everybody else, never assume ill intention. And this is a hard one because our own egos and emotions are always in play, right? We're always creating our own story, our own way of interpreting things. And so you have to use that as a mantra almost. And we work in a field that's dominated by women. And one of the downside of working in a field dominated by women is, God bless it, we all end up cycling together. (laughs) And I I mean, not to be, and gentlemen that are listening, I apologize, but let's be perfectly clear. If you had a house full of sisters growing up, you know exactly what I mean. And when that happens, it creates this very tumultuous environment where it emotions run hot because hormones are running hot and then bless them if they actually start having hot flashes like yes the I'm, I'm I remember working as um, a speech pathology assistant in an elementary school surrounded by like 50 other females that were the teachers with 
uh, all the children on like random fire alarms and emotions run hot at moments like that. And you're right. The, the breathing techniques don't assume ill and be kind. Absolutely. And kindness. That is something so basic that I think we as a society have just lost sometimes. So kindness, that one, that hit home. Absolutely. And I'm sorry to interrupt. No, and I just, being yeah. in a female dominated field is key here. It's, it's, you know, I certainly came from, um, even at my university, highly competitive women. Um, and, you know, I have seen this across the country. I have seen some beautiful souls, including I've met you, which was wonderful. And, and I've met some fabulous leaders, women leaders that want to share their knowledge and their skills. And they're taking on mentoring individuals and wanting to empower women. And, and they're very beautiful, unique souls. But I also see the other side where uh, people get these status complexes. They get their master's and their doctorate, and then they get a little big-headed, and they forget that we're all here to teach each other and learn from each other, and we all have something to give. Um, I always remind staff that especially I have a, we have administrative staff at my office. They, and we have customer service. They hold our, us together. If without them, we could not do our jobs. And they are just as important as a CEO and all these people. We need to remember that, that every person plays a part and a role. And if we sit back and it's really about respect and respecting each person's role and what they're trying to accomplish, it really gets a lot further. So that's that's another suggestion. Then rephrasing, we all know how to rephrase. We've been taught this early on. You know, we remember when you're trying to describe a student, a patient with more positive vocabulary, you could describe a child as hyperactive, or you could say that child has a vibrant energy. <laughs> <laughs> I was very vibrant, Sharis. I was very vibrant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great way to describe someone. So you have that skill and it's truly tapping into that skill in that moment. So you can use that same skill in conflict when choosing your words. You also want to remember those counseling skills. You don't want to say you did this. Instead, you want to use the I feel statements and that will de-escalate. I feel that when you speak to me this way, <laughs> well, you still don't want to say you, but you have to come up with those I feel statements of how you're feeling and not point fingers. That's It's funny. In mediation, I'm always having people sit on their hands because they do a lot. It's amazing how much you point with your faces. <laughs> I think I'm going to start doing that with my three-year-old and my five-year-old because for that, that has become, well, Boo Bear did, no, Gooser did. So I, I might, this now applies to being a mother as well. Thank you. <laughs> and then my, my key strategy is listening. Um, slowing down and listening. We have this other monologue in our head as to what we want to say, and we keep repeating what we're going to want to say next. And instead of really sitting and listening and hearing someone, it's that active listening. Uh, and we have this skill set too. We need to listen to validate, listen to understand, summarize what you've heard. From what I hear you saying, uh, are you saying that? And then you repeat it. Because then you know that the person you're trying to work through that conflict with, you're restating and you, they hear it back and they can say, yes, that's exactly what I'm seeing. They feel validated. So you want to be 
an exceptional listener. And that takes practice too. Um, and if that means writing down your thought before you say it so you can remember it, <laughs> we use that all the time. In mediation, I have that other person write down in their notes while the other person's sharing their story so they don't interrupt. And then it reminds them what they want to say when it's their turn to talk. I actually did that while you were speaking just now. So kudos for me for improving my listening skills. But um, you mentioned something about the respect. um, And my dad said you can tell the most about a person by how they treat the least of these. So when you go out to eat and you see how they interact with the waiter or the waitress, um, that's somebody that's literally serving them. And if they're rude and abrupt there, that's a good indicator of much, much larger issues. Just like you said, when we were first started talking about volatile personality, volatile personalities, and sometimes you can do the best conflict resolution and still not resolve the issue because of a baseline personality type. Um, so that, yeah, that's mm. very true. And mm. it's, uh, it's amazing how many times I've been out to dinner and I will call a manager over and they always look nervous. Right. But I, I spent a whole year, I, I pick something every year that I want to do and try out. And so uh, a year or so ago, I, I was doing this where I'd pull over a manager when I had exceptional customer service or I have a lot of food allergies. So I'm always so thankful when somebody goes out of the way to explain the menu or make sure I'm, I'm doing okay. And I call those managers over and say, well, I just want to let you know, how wonderful this employee is and you should keep them. <laughs> and they always look at me so shocked because most people, the only time they call a manager over is to tell them how bad their experience was. <laughs> yeah. That's yes. I'm going to, I like that. Okay. So do you set a goal like that every year to grow personally? That's a very personal question, but is that something that you do every oh, year? Oh, definitely. I do. It's fun. It's, um, I don't do a New Year's resolution, but I find something that maybe I've identified myself that I need to work on. Or I identify something in the world that needs help with. So, you know, like more positive feedback, more positive energy. Um, so each year I try to p- pick something that I can do that maybe makes me improve upon myself in some way. I do want to share one other strategy, and that is that people don't realize this, is that often when we're dealing with situations, when you're in a meeting, you're always across the table from each other. But one strategy I would say you should try is walk and talk. So if you're having a conflict with someone and you have a few minutes to take a walk together, it's amazing how much better you communicate when you're walking side by side and not across the table from each other. And I, I just encourage everybody to try it sometime. With someone, spouse, friend, relative, whatever, or or a colleague, you'd be amazed at how the communication improves. I get I get a lot of phone calls, people asking me about a case study or something like that, and I always find it easiest to talk to those people when I'm walking on my cell phone. If I'm stationary, I'm twitchy, like I can't. Like if I'm stuck sitting and trying to like help them troubleshoot through a case study, like I I can't do it. But if I'm up pacing, even if it's just back and forth around my living room, I do a much better job. So that's kind of insightful. Um, mm -hmm. 
hmm, I'm just wondering what physiologically is happening. Like, is it that you're like visually equal and nobody is the visual leader? Because there's a lot to that. Like, uh, if somebody sits taller than you in a chair or because I've read about those kind of factors. Hmm. Interesting. Walking. I will work on that. Yeah, it's definitely it's there isn't a leader. And the same thing I've seen. I've seen um, even this year, I had a gentleman come in to my office and area and stood over me. So I stood up and all of a sudden the dynamic changed. When we hold our board meetings, I never like to sit at the head of the table. I always like to sit like on a corner cockeyed, but I, because I mean, we're, we're all, you know, volleying information back and forth, but that's just one thing that I've noted. I don't like to sit at the head. It makes me, I, I want to hear other people's thoughts. And I feel like when you're sitting at the head of the table, people expect you to speak first, but you got to be that active listener that you were talking about. Hmm. Okay. All right. We're running short on time. Um, excuse me, but I do want to get to one more question. Um, can you give us a couple of scenarios? I know you just mentioned like the walking, um, with, but can you give us a couple of other quick scenarios in which you could apply these strategies, um, in situations that are kind of like unique to speech pathologists? Sure. So, you know, let's start with some, you know, if you're working in the public schools, you can, you'll often come into conflict and scheduling with your students. That's real common, whether you're pulling out of the classroom or doing five minute therapy or whatever your, your method is, there's something sometimes can be um, that challenge that a teacher doesn't want the interruption or it's not the time they wanted that student out of the classroom. So certainly in this situation, uh, one needs to really look at that teacher's perspective. And I know it's, it's hard because you'd really like them to look at your perspective, <laughs> but you're going to get probably for long if you can understand what pressure they're under. Maybe they're trying to meet state testing requirements. Maybe it's tied into their performance and that's a driving factor. Maybe they have several students that are highly distracted when even a minimal interruption occurs in the classroom. So it's up to you to ask the questions be gentle, be kind, be supportive, and approach it from, let's see what solutions we can come up with. A different time slot, a different approach to therapy, a solution for the entire classroom. Um, I find that when I travel all over and work with professionals all over the country, you're all so innovative and creative. And so the goal is to focus on helping the student first, but it's also building that support and bridge with that teacher. So pull on all those strategies and try to show, you know, I'm part of the team. We're, you know, we're trying to work together to try to come to a common ground. It may be educating that teacher a little bit about how, you know, working on these specific sounds is going to help them with their reading skills. Maybe they don't even know that. Um, when you're in on the phone with a parent or family member that's really angry, um, Again, using those techniques of lowering your voice, slowing your pace, and pausing. But one thing I did learn, and it was funny, at ASHA, I often would ask the professionals that would call in when they were really fired up about something is, I'd say, what is your ask? And they'd pause and be, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, often it made them pause because they, I think their intent initially was, I just want to vent. But uh, if you ask them, what is it that you truly want out of this situation? 
Or if you say, I hear you, and what is it you're needing for me to work through this situation? People will pause for a minute, and actually, half of them haven't even thought what they wanted. They just wanted to be angry. But if they can come up with what they really want, you know, it, it, you can often find a solution. And this, I think, is really important. If you own your own private practice and it's your only income, <laughs> and you know how brutal social media is these days, it's just. Oh. Absolutely. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have to step back and say, do I want that bad Yelp review or do I need to figure out how I'm going to respond to this person so that I hopefully get off the phone with them being willing to either come back or not put that message out there in the universe. And so you really do have to take the higher ground a lot. Um, My last, you know, scenario is probably... um, is conflict. Usually we see that a lot with a nurse or a physician and you have to approach them a lot of time as a team player and we'll have, uh, you know, you have to talk as if you have the interest of the patient. And I know that most of you probably already do this. So one thing I think is observe their personality. If you're going to the same facility or dealing with the same professionals every day, you're going to learn their personality. Or maybe you're sitting and having uh, meetings with all these other physicians and nurses at the same time. You know, there are people out there that want their ego stroked, or maybe they're the person who wants their idea. They want to have the idea, even if it's not really theirs. So you step back. It's okay. Learn their personality. Stroke the ego. Tell them how wonderful they are and that you want to learn from them. And I'd like to hear your perspective because that way they they will buy into what you're trying to get them to do for you. Or let them have the idea. Even if I, I don't know how many times I've been in meetings where I share an idea and then we have someone talk over me and then five minutes later, that same person um, shares the idea I just gave. Well, you have to let the ego go. If, if the end goal is you want this, this idea to happen, then you stop owning it and you let that person believe it was theirs and then you all win. Right. So it's really studying personalities a little bit and figure out how they click. And it may not be the first, you know, the first time you try, it may not work, but you'll figure it out. You, You say you mentioned studying personalities, and um, one of my former interns was a psych major in undergrad, and her ability to read patients' families was phenomenal. And I mean, she's an intuitive individual, but I think it was because I mean, psychologists are taught to analyze that. And I know she wasn't like a full-fledged psychologist. She was a psychology undergrad, but like it, I mean, I felt like her, she was more equipped to be a speech pathologist than I was. And my undergrad was a speech pathology major, but I mean, having that ability to read them has helped her become a more successful speech pathologist because she engages with colleagues and, you know, patients and their families. Um, as my youngest sister would say, more gooder than um, others, just because she has that innate that that skill set. Um, and when you talked about the schools, that took me back a very long time ago. But you were absolutely correct. There is nothing quite as chaotic as the first couple weeks of trying to write a schedule. <laughs> so, to all the school SLPs out there, thank you <laughs> for being you. We're grateful. Okay. 
All right. We have, I've got, I've got two more questions on, um, written down here that I want to get to. Um, but, uh, we do have to switch over to, um, well, I have three because, because it's you and because you always give me another one, but learning to let the ego go. Wow. That is huge. Ah, okay. So I want, I want to hear what your recommendations are for that, but can we hold that thought until we switch over to questions really quick? Because we, we are short on time. Um, so first and foremost, um, Sharis, thank you. Thank you for coming and letting us do this. I am grateful for you. I am grateful for your time. Um, I know how incredibly busy you are. So uh, the fact that you squeaked me in, yay. <laughs> um, and if individuals have additional questions that they can't get answered in the next Q&A section, is there a way that they can reach out to you? Oh, definitely. So they can, they can email me, uh, just my personal address. Now I have a challenging name. So um, it, it's C-H-E-R-I-S. F-R-A-I-L-E-Y at gmail.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn too. You can message me on LinkedIn. I'm under Sharis Fraley as well. And uh, I'll be happy to chat with you or, or get back with you. And you, who knows, you may sweet talk me into calling you sometime. <laughs> Yes. And trust me, you, she's the, her active listening skills are quite lovely. I have called on numerous occasions to basically word vomit for her to ask, okay, what are you asking? Because when you said that, I almost burst out laughing. I was like, I have heard that before, <laughs> but, um, yes, but she does. And the advice is always profound and lovely, but okay. Thank you, lady. All right. Now we're almost out of time and really truthfully, we do have to switch over to questions, but, um, I just want to wish, um, everyone out there that's listening a very Merry Christmas, um, and a friendly reminder that we will not be having an episode on December 25th. Um, cause you know, it's Tuesday because I will be tearing open some presents, giggling and enjoying eggnog with the Mr. Dawson and the goose and the bear. So Merry Christmas and happy new year. That's a wrap folks. Once again, thank you for listening to first bite fed fun and functional. I'm your humble, but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the all things peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speech therapy, pd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.